Hello. Welcome back to Will's Asylum. These are my insane ramblings about various political and philosophical topics that I find interesting. I'm going to spend this week talking about the Second Amendment, the role of guns in our society, the historical ideas about what guns serve their purpose for, how we should regulate them, should we regulate them, and ultimately debunking the insane right-wing idiots who think that they're constitutional. I'm going to be referencing and reading through this short chapter of the Federalist Papers, which is essentially an explanation of the rights in the Constitution by the Founding Fathers. It's written by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay. Here we go. I think it's important to set up what this 29th chapter of the Federalist Papers is about. It is written by Hamilton. The chapter is titled, On the Regulation of the Militia. To the people of the state of New York, it starts. Let's first remember that the main purpose of the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, is the right to organize in a militia. Now, let us also remember that there was no standing army at the time that this amendment was put in place. A standing army did not come till much later. So a lot of these gun nut idiots who think that they can just, oh, I'm in a militia. That, that's, <laughs> you're in a militia. We have an army. Okay, we're going to get into this paper here. You know what? I'm not. I'm just going to let the paper speak for itself because it is so powerful and so insane that. Okay, I'm just going to get into this ramblings of a lunatic. Here we go. To the people of the state of New York, by Alexander Hamilton, the power of regulating the militia and of commanding its services in times of insurrection and invasion are natural incidents to the duties of superintending the common defense and of watching over the internal peace of the Confederacy. It requires no skill in the science of war to discern that the uniformity in the organization and discipline of the militia would be attended with the most beneficial effects. Whenever they were called into service for the public defense, it would enable them to discharge their duties of the camp and of the field with mutual intelligence and concert, an advantage of peculiar moment in the operations of an army and it would fit them much sooner to acquire the degree of proficiency in military functions, which should be essential to their usefulness. So here in this first chap, this first paragraph of Alexander Hamilton's 29th chapter of the Federalist Papers, Regulation of the Militia, we see that a militia is not something organized by random right-wing gun nutters. It's organized by the state whenever they were called into service for the public defense. I'm just going to take this time to personally take a shot at all these idiot people who think, I'm in a militia. You're not in the freaking militia. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. You think you can just carry around guns with your group of buddies and that's your militia. 
okay, that is the most unconstitutional, un-American, unstatehood thing that you can do. You're rebelling against the state if you create your own local army. How is this not obvious to people? It continues. This desirable uniformity can only be accomplished by confiding the regulation of the militia to the direction of the national authority. Alexander, Alexander Hamilton, guys. All these idiot gun nutter people who think that the like the beginning of this country was just the Wild West and you could literally strap yourself with whatever you want to do and they can't take my guns away. Guess what? You have to be at the direction of the national authority. So, um, basically, there is an entire group of people who are intentionally not reading their own founding documents that they claim to love and protect with their ridiculous militias. It's so insane. It is continuing on. It is therefore with the most ever evident propriety that the plan of the convention proposes to empower the union to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively the appointment of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. So not only are you subject to being called into a militia, can I just create your own one? <laughs> they literally appoint officers over you and you're subject to Congress. <laughs> I guarantee you not a single one of those gun nutters has ever read this. Not a one. <laughs> it's actually crazy how many of these right-wing retards think that they actually love the constitution or love liberty or love rights. Or I love free markets. Guess what? <laughs> You're in contrast with your own people that you claim to love so much. All right, here we go. Continuing on. This is the third chapter, not third chapter, third paragraph. Of the different grounds which have been taken in opposition to the plan of the convention, there is none that was so little to have been expected or is so untenable in itself as the one from which this particular provision has been attacked. If a well-regulated militia be the most natural defense of a free country, it ought certainly to be under the regulation and at the disposal of that body which is constituted the guardian of the national security." If standing armies are dangerous to liberty and efficacious power over the militia in the body of to whose care the protection of the state is committed, ought as far as possible to take away the inducement and the pretext to such unfriendly institutions. If the federal government can command the aid of the militia in these emergencies, which call for the military arm in support of the civil magistrate, it can the better dispense with the employment of a different kind of force. If it cannot avail itself of the former, it will be obliged to recur to the latter, to render an army unnecessary, will be a more certain method of preventing its existence than a thousand prohibitions upon paper. Again, going back to this whole ridiculous argument about how guns are an essential right to Americans, even though those guns traditionally were understood in the context of the militia. And we can see here 
it's very, very clear. There was no standing army when this was written and when the Constitution was written. There was no standing army. And the militia, which acted as the standing army, which it says here, because the <clears throat> founding fathers looked at a standing army as a potential uh, subjugation force, as something that should be avoided, as something that can be easily manipulated by the powers that be to oppress the citizens. So that is why they did not want that. They wanted local state militias, which we do have now in the National Guard, or the state guards. Take a sip of water. We can see here very clearly the militia exists so that we don't need an army. We have an army now. That doesn't mean we never need militias. That doesn't mean that this right or this freedom has nothing to do with the current day. I, I think it does have something to do with the current day. But should you be allowed to carry whatever firearm you want? And do whatever you want and organize into your weird little cult groups however you want? No, of course not. None of the founding fathers would have been okay with this type of behavior. The stuff we saw on January 6th, the stuff we see all the time. It's so crazy. <laughs> Continuing on. Fourth paragraph. In order to cast an odium upon the power of calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, it has been remarked that there is nowhere any provision in the proposed Constitution for calling out the posse comiticatus to assist the magistrate in the execution of its duty whence it has been inferred. That military force was intended to be his only auxiliary, there is a striking incoherence in the objections which have appeared, and sometimes even from the same quarter, not much calculated to inspire a very favorable opinion of the sincerity or fair dealing of their authors. The same persons who tell us in one breath that the powers of the federal government will be despotic and unlimited inform us in the next that it is not authority sufficient even to call out the posse comiticatus. The latter, unfortunately, is as much short of the truth as the former exceeds it. It would be as absurd to doubt that a right to pass all laws necessary and proper to e execute its declared powers would include that of requiring the assistance of the citizens to the officers who may be entrusted with the execution of those laws, as it would be to believe that a right to enact laws necessarily and proper for the imposition and collection of taxes would involve that of varying the rules of dissent and of the alienation of landlord property. Alienation of landed property, or of abolishing the trial by jury in cases relating to it. It being therefore evident that the supposition of a want of power to require the aid of the posse comiticatus is entirely destitute of color. It will follow that the conclusion which has been drawn from it in its application to the authority of the federal government over the militia is as uncandid as it is illogical. What reason would there be to infer that force was intended to be the sole instrument of authority, merely because there is a power to make use of it when necessary? What shall we think of the motives which could induce men of sense to reason to this manner? How shall we prevent a conflict between charity and judgment? So in this paragraph, Hamilton is talking about how in order to enforce federal and state laws, you need a militia in certain cases. 
that is basically what he's saying. He's also trying to make the distinction between charity and judgment and how we enforce laws and how harshly we enforce laws and in what way it is necessary and proper. So this, again, applies to what we would see today as the police. All these people who think that they need to start their own local militia or whatever they even think they're doing, we have a local militia under the authority of the government. That's the police. That's the people that enforce the laws. So we have the National Guard. We have the police. What do we need you for? Uh, we don't need you. I'm sorry. Let's continue on here with paragraph. Which paragraph is this? One, two, three. Paragraph six, I think. By a curious refinement upon the spirit of Republican jealousy, we are even taught to apprehend danger from the militia itself in the hands of the federal government. It is observed that select corps may be formed composed of the young and ardent who may be rendered subservient to the views of arbitrary power. What plan for the regulation of the militia may be pursued by the national government? It is impossible to be foreseen. But so far from viewing the matter in the same light as those who object to select corps as dangerous, were the Constitution ratified and I were to deliver my sentiments to a member of the federal legislature from this state on the subject of a militia establishment, I should hold to him in substance the following discourse. The project of disciplining all the militia of the United States is as futile as it would be injurious. If it were in if it were capable of being carried into execution, a tolerable expertness in military movements is a business that requires time and practice. It is not a day or even a week that will suffice for the attainment of it to oblige the great body of the yeomanry and of the other classes of citizens to be under arms for the purpose of going through military exercises and evolutions as often as might be necessary to acquire the degree of perfection which should entitle them to the character of a well-regulated militia would be a real grievance to the people and a serious public inconvenience and loss. It would form an annual deduction from the productive labor of the country to an amount which calculating upon the percent numbers of the people would not fall short of the whole expense of the civil establishments of all the states. To attempt a thing which would abridge the mass of labor and industry to so considerable an extent would be unwise, and the experiment, if made, could not succeed because it would not long be endured. Little more can reasonably be aimed at, with respect to the people at large, than to have them properly armed and equipped, and in order to see that this not be neglected it will be necessary to assemble them once or twice in the course of a year. So, in this chapter, not chapter, why do we keep saying chapter in this paragraph here? We have Alexander Hamilton talking about the dangers of having a standing army. He talks about a lot of economic factors here, about the cost of all the people's in order to have a well-regulated standing army. And he says it's illogical and unattainable. And so his solution to that, and also for the freedom reasons, where he doesn't want the standing army to be wielded by whoever happens to hold Congress or the executive branch or the presidency, 
he doesn't want them to be able to subjugate their opponents or kill their political enemies or things such as that. But I think it's interesting here. This is a really interesting thing. So I think it's interesting that his solution is to have them properly armed and equipped. And in order to see that this is not neglected, it will be necessary to assemble them once or twice in the course of a year. So he's not talking about all citizens here. He's talking about those in the militia. With respect to the people at large, them then to have them properly aimed and equipped. And in order to see that this not be neglected, it will be necessary to assemble them once or twice in the course of the year. So those who plan on possibly being a part of militia, because a militia at the time was not an all year round thing. Some years they didn't need it. Some years they weren't at war. Some years there wasn't Native American conflicts. Some things there wasn't conflicts with other countries. The whole purpose of arming your citizens in this scheme is so to avoid the tyrannical predations of having a standing army. It is not because you have the right to defend your property. It's not because of any Republican nonsensical gun argument. I, I got my guns, you know. I should be able to shoot anyone who I think threatens me. That's not the reason. You notice here, he never once says it is necessary for people to have guns for self-defense. Or it's necessary for people to have guns so that they can have power among the people to, to do what they want to do. No, 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 no. It's all subject to the federal government. And he says they assemble them to see if there are properly well put together militia once or twice a year. Basically saying we arm these people so that if the need arises, they can gather together and fight off a common enemy. And the reason they assemble once or twice in a year is to make sure everything's good and everybody's got everything all put together and that it's organized. This completely runs contradictory to some of the most insane things we've been seeing recently. Now, I'm going to go into something here. It is a bit of a uh, current events thing. I'm going to talk about he sh he who shall not be named, Mr. Our House. Um, if you don't know, if you can't pick up what I'm saying, then uh, sorry for you. Um, in this scenario, he now the jury has decided as a country, as a person who believes in the right to a jury trial, whatever the jury decides is what they decide and we must all accept it we can't have some people who are claiming that this system is terrible or jury was rigged or whatever if the jury decides it then we all must accept it but i think there's another more nuanced way of looking at this more than just the black and white of quote it was self-defense or he was out there to shoot black people see there is something different to analyze here Let's analyze the culture. This kid grew up, and I blame his parents for this. I don't blame him so much. He grew up thinking 
that his American freedoms granted him the ability to pick up dangerous weapons and go and, quote, defend property. I mean, is that the purpose of the Second Amendment? No. The purpose of the Second Amendment is to have a militia. Now, ideally, in this scenario, the police would have regulated this, which is, I could argue, that... <laughs> I could argue that uh, the police are part of the militia because they enforce the laws, as I said in the previous paragraph. Talking about this, we can see that the gun culture in the conservative American mind is so anti and so against what the founding fathers would have considered to be reasonable or what their purpose even was of arming the people. To me, I think it's very obvious that arming the people is not just so they can defend themselves and they have quote unquote freedom or whatever other garbage they want to say. It's about protecting yourself from outside threats and enforcing the laws. That's what the militia is about. That's what that right, that's what the Second Amendment is all about. It's not about you being able to put yourself in a bad situation and then shoot people who attack you after. <laughs> it's so crazy to me. Like, despite, let's throw out, let's just assume for sake of argument that it was self-defense, which I think it probably was. Let's just assume that it is just for the sake of argument. Even that being the case, the culture that put him in this dangerous situation is disgusting. It's anti-Christian. Anyone, any person who thinks that they're a Christian and they also want to create a local militia and they also want to go, quote, protect property against the BLM people or whatever, whatever else you want to say. If you want to try to pretend like you're the virtuous ones, then I'm sorry, you're not. The virtuous Christian, traditional Christian idea would be Guess what? You don't defend your property. You abandon it. And if they destroy it, they destroy it. But guess what? You can put it back together. Might it be difficult? Yes. Might it be <clears throat> might it take a long time? Might it take a lot of money? Yes. But guess what? If you want to try to claim the moral high ground, you're not going to do it. At least you're not going to convince me you have it by setting up a perimeter with semi-automatic rifles, which were never intended for that purpose in the first place, because the whole point of the right to bear arms, as I've spent this whole entire thing talking about, is about the militia, which is meant to, one, protect from outside threats, and two, enforce the laws. Now that we have our house out of the way, Let's keep going with the next paragraph here. But through the scheme of disciplining, the whole nation must be abandoned at mischievous or impracticable 
must be abandoned as mischievous or impracticable. Yet it is a matter of the utmost importance that a well-digested plan should as soon as possible be adopted for the proper establishment of the militia. The attention of the government ought particularly to be directed to the formation of a select corps of moderate extent upon such principles as will really fit them for service in case of need. By thus circumscribing the plan, it will be possible to have an excellent body of well-trained militia ready to take the field whenever the defense of the state shall require it. This will not only lessen the call for military establishments, but if circumstances should at any time oblige the government to form an army of any magnitude, that army can never be formidable to the liberties of the people while there is a large body of citizens, little if at all inferior to them in discipline and the use of arms, who stand ready to defend their own rights and those of their fellow citizens. This appears to me the only substitute that can be devised for a standing army, and the best possible securities against it if it should exist. This is a very, very interesting paragraph here. It talks about how, and we've I've discussed this already, but the early uh, founding fathers perceived a standing army to be oppressive, and it says here that a mili- if a a formal standing army were to be established and try to subjugate the local militias. So in this case, we're talking about a federal national army trying to subvert a state militia. Then, and only then, does the state militia have the right to defend its existence against the national one. Now, this whole issue has been completely blown past in American history, because we have a standing army. It's not going away. There's no militia to fight it. And guess what? There's never going to be a quote unquote state run militia that's going to fight back against the national three branches of service. It's just not going to happen, not with our technology. To me, this is almost a moot point. This is back in a different era where. Military technology was relatively similar, and a state militia that's well-trained could reasonably fight against a larger army, a larger federal army that's trying to subjugate them and take power. A lot of times with these right-wingers here, that's not what we're seeing. We're not seeing an army coming to their doorstep, a federal army trying to enslave them and subjugate them. No. We see them taking out their guns that they are lucky to have. If you actually look at the world, we are the most liberal gun-owning state, even in states where it's hard to get guns. Guess what? You can still own them, even in other countries. You can't even own them in a lot of countries. (sighs) So it's not as if the federal government's literally trying to oppress them with an army and they're fighting back no no no. it's they're shooting not always and not necessarily in the our house case but it might be true but in a lot of cases and this goes for the left wingers too who employ similar tactics 
I'm not here to dis just despise one political party the or the other. I'm here to disguise all political parties because they're all based on enlightenment bullcrap, and I want to get out of that. <sighs> Getting back to this. They're not fighting against a federal army. They're fighting against their political adversaries. Both sides are. And that is not what this right is for. That's not what this right was devised for. Every single one of the people who signed the Constitution would be disgusted to see what is going on with the gun culture in the United States today. It is disgusting. It is unchristian. And any one of them who claims that they're a Christian or they have the moral high ground, you don't. I could even argue, and I might, that having a local unregulated militia is borderline treason. You have no right to organize in such manner. You have to be under the authority of the state. I have about one minute left on this recording here. This is the end of part one. In part two, I will continue the rest of the Federalist Papers on the militia and the right to bear arms. If you enjoyed this, please keep listening on whatever platform you're listening on. This is the insane ramblings of Will an asylum locked from the inside because I'm the only one fit for my own cage.